What's up, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Pock Talk, the space where we explore POC issues, ideas, and experiences. My name is Brian, aka B Rye. Today's episode, I'm taking us back through time, back to October, when I got a chance to sit down and talk to Miss Ebony Bailey. Ebony's a filmmaker from Porterville, California, who now lives in Mexico City and is getting her degree in documentary filmmaking. I've known Ebony for a while now because we have several mutual friends, but I got a chance to connect with her this past October when she was in town screening her short film, Life Between Borders, which is a documentary about the lives of the black community in Mexico. Funny story, we actually recorded this episode right as we took, right as we went on our little hiatus. I remember I had just gotten in an accident and I didn't really have a car. So I remember having to take the, the train from Santa Monica all the way down to the Mexican consulate in LA, which if you haven't been to, I highly recommend you check out some of their events because they have a lot of really cool spaces. Like they have an art gallery and like event rooms and the, and the screening room where Ebony's film was screened. I remember I was running late to the screening. I didn't think I was going to make it, but I guess they were running on CPT time and they knew everybody was going to be late. So I still made it in time and they gave us free popcorn and free beer. So it was a dope ass event. I was really impressed by Ebony's film. So I, after the event was over, I uh, had a chance to talk to her and I invited her to come on to the show and talk about what she's learned uh, living out in Mexico and making the film. And uh, she, you know, she, she was down. She came through the next day and we had a nice conversation. She also shared some of her struggles that she faced growing up as a black skin in the Central Valley and why this project means so much to her. Ebony was actually in Mexico City during the earthquake this past September. So we got a chance to sit down and talk about that too. But that I'm not putting this in this episode. I'm going to drop that a little bit later. So look out for that. But yeah, it was a great conversation. And Ebony's still out there grinding. She's going to take this documentary a step further. And she's this is what she's going to explore in her thesis uh, for grad school. And uh, she wants to explore more of this topic and learn a little bit more about the uh, black diaspora. So I suggest you check out the film. It's called Life Between Borders. It's on Vimeo. or You can probably just Google it. It's been shared a lot and it's gotten a lot of press coverage. So check it out. You can also find it on Ebony's page, which I'll share on our social media. Check it out. I recommend it. Anyway, thank you, Ebony, so much for coming in on such short notice, even though this episode is being dropped very late. But thank you so much, and thank you all for listening and for being part of the Support Brown podcast and Support POC podcast movement. All right, I'm going to stop talking now. I'm going to keep this short. This is Ebony Bailey, and this is episode 16 of Pock Talk. Did you hear about the? Did you hear the one where the where the two guys they thought they were brothers? Yeah, the uh, the uh, what? Were Some shit like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, it, oh they thought God. they were brothers, but then it turns out that they're not brothers. Mm-hmm. But they were basically they became basically best friends mm-hmm. and brothers, and then it was crazy. Like all those stories are really interesting, but yeah, maybe we'll get to that point. Yeah, uh, that would be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> they got acquired. Yeah, they did. They got acquired by NPR. Have, were you listening before? Uh, yeah, I was listening before that. Okay, cool. All right, so you've been around mm-hmm. for a while. You've been a fan. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks again for coming. Thanks for being here. Um, yeah, if you want to just go back and tell us your, your story, that's kind of how we start this off. Well, I'm from Porterville. It's like a little small town in Central California, kind of in between Fresno and Bakersfield, but nobody's ever heard of it. Oh, uh, that's, like, that's like California's Trump nation, too. Yeah, it, it really is. Because whenever I drive up there, I, all I see is Trump, farmers for Trump. Like, yeah. I see all those signs. Oh, last time I went, I was with some friends from L.A. Or this was like a couple times ago. So some friends from L.A. And we, we like were driving around and we saw two Confederate flags. And I was like, oh. That shit's okay, scary. Yeah, this is where what? I'm from. That's, where, that's where you grew up? Yeah. That's Did you I grew see up. this often? I always knew it was like conservative. And oh, especially growing up, like I remember when Prop 8 was happening. Mm-hmm. And everywhere in my hometown, it was yes on probate because yes on probate meant banning same-sex marriage. And then I think this was I was like a senior or junior in college, and we go visit colleges, and I'm we're visiting USC. I remember this is the first time I fell in love with USC, and 
and I see like a bunch of yes, oh uh, no, no on Prop 8 signs like all over LA. And I was like, this is my home. I belong, I belong here. <laughs> yeah. How's your school? I was it predominantly white or how? Oh, uh, no, Mexican. Actually, Porterville, I would say, is like. It's diverse. It's like 65% Mexican, um, like 30 ish percent white. And then like the there's like three percent Asian and like one percent less than one percent black. Oh damn! <laughs> so I was like the only black girl. <laughs> oh damn! <laughs> well, yeah, black so skin it's, girl. It's like super rural, right? Yeah, I'm it's assuming. like super rural. The main industry there's so many Mexicans there because this sounds bad, but the, the main industry is agriculture. That's what it is. Yeah. Got somebody, somebody's got to pick the the, the grapes, strawberries right? and the grapes yeah, and all, all that good. shit. Yeah, actually, so my my family got there because my mom's Mexican. She's Chicana. And my grandparents <clears throat> went to got to Porterville because they were working the fields. Okay. Uh, my grandpa's from Zacatecas, Mexico, mm-hmm. and my grandma's from also from California, but she's Mexican. And they both like I think they met. I think they met working in the fields. My grandma was like my grandpa's boss. Like she was like the director, like directing everybody in the field. Damn. Uh-huh. Damn. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> and then your grandpa was like, "I'm gonna get in good. Come <laughs> up. I'm gonna be the boss. That's cool. I'm yeah. down. That's, that's really cool." Um, but I would say it's still super conservative because, like, most of the people in power are like like the white people. Of course. You know? They're the, the, they're the landowners. Nation. Uh-huh. They're the land they're the ones who own the fields and then the Mexicans. So are you going to school with like a lot of the kids of the of the landowners or Bo- are you going to school with Bo- the la- of the of I would the say workers? The kids my, of the workers. My elementary school, so like there's a lot of elementary schools in my town and there's only two or three middle schools and there's only three high schools. So my elementary school is super segregated. There was pure Mexicans, maybe like I think it's like 99% Mexican in my elementary school. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Yeah. And most of the kids are actually like undocumented. You said your grandpa moved here from Mexico or where, where uh-huh. was he before? Yeah. My grandpa was from, was from Zacatecas, Mexico. Oh, right. And your grandma? She's from like Southern California. Okay. And where does, where does her? Uh, where does her family? Her, my grand, my great grandma is from Sonora, Mexico. Okay. And my great grandpa was from Jalisco, okay. Mexico. Okay. Uh-huh. Oh, so that's so a lot of Mexican mm-hmm. in your blood. Yeah, yeah. My mom. Oh, I always just say I'm black skin because my mom's ha- Mexican with Chicana, and then my dad is um, is black, black American. He's from North Carolina. Okay. And I noticed that I've been starting to say Chicana more when I describe my mom because I've been living in Mexico. Why? For the yeah, past year. that's. The, I'm, I'm curious. Uh huh. And every time I say, oh, my mom's Mexican, and then they're like, oh, what part of Mexico is she from? I'm like, oh, actually, well, she was born in the U.S. Oh, so she's Chicana. That's what everybody in Mexico really? says. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I don't think there's a word for that for, for Guatemalans. My parents are Guatemalan. I don't think, I don't think we identify as... Uh, because when you say Chicana, you're, the connotation that you're... It's, it's saying that you're born here. Born and, in the but U.S. But you just have... Mm-hmm. But I think, isn't it also... Doesn't it also have, like, to do with... Like, doesn't it also mean that you that you're, like, very that you have very prideful like how, how do you identify as Chicana? like what do you have to like how did how does i'm not sure how it works yeah i would i would say that there's like does a, your mom identify as Chicana? she identifies as mexican right okay uh-huh. why why have you ever had that conversation with her um kind of i guess just growing up in porterville just being surrounded by mexicans and uh i don't know i guess like in porterville there's not really like a political consciousness I would say, like, about, like, Chicano identity or whatever. Right. You're just Mexican. You probably see that shit white. more out here in L.A. Yeah. Too, yeah. <laughs> but I guess, like, when I say that in Mexico, they know exactly what I'm referring to. Got they it. know it's, like, a Mexican-American. Got uh-huh. it. So okay. Oh, so now you're starting, to see, you're starting to use the word a lot more now. Uh-huh, because I'm in Mexico. Because you're in Mexico and mm-hmm. you're... And, okay. That's interesting. I guess, so it's, is it more... Do you think you use it more because it's just... Yeah, an easier conversation to have. It's just gonna be easier to just say. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's it, it, why. Okay. Mostly, because uh, because yeah, whenever I say, oh, my mom's Mexican, they're like, oh, where, what part is she from? I'm like, oh, actually, wait, she's from California, which was Mexico, <laughs> which was Mexico. <laughs> so. <laughs> so technically, yeah, you're right. okay, that's cool. Uh, okay, and okay, and so your parents met here in California, or they met, yeah, they met in Virginia actually. So I would say my dad uh, is not technically my bio dad, but. So they met when I was already, when my bio parents split, or my mom and my bio dad split, and I was living in California, but my mom stayed in Virginia. Mm. And then... What's she doing out there? She's cutting hair. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think oh, like she her, moved out there? She wanted something she, different? We, both, we all lived out there. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Oh, you did? Uh-huh. And then... Wait, so how did you get... What? How did you go from Central California to Virginia? Because my bio dad was from Virginia. 
Oh, right, 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 right. Okay. So then we moved to Virginia. So she just moved. Uh huh. Okay. She just moved, and then when we split, were you born when there? they split? Sorry, when they split, um, I was born. Yeah. So I was actually born. My mom didn't live in Porterville when she was pregnant with me, but she like went back to Porterville just to have me. Important. <laughs> <laughs> so I was born in Porterville. Oh, cool. And then moved to Virginia. Like, I moved to Virginia oh, for like five years. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah. For like I don't know when. Like, but when I was a baby, I moved to Virginia, and then and then I came back to Porterville. And my mom stayed in Virginia for a couple years more, and she met my dad, the, uh, the one who raised dad. me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and then they met at a club. <laughs> nice. Bio dad or new dad? Or new dad. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what I call it. The new one dad. who raised me. The yeah. one that, yeah. Dad. Dad. Dad, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. yeah, they met at a club. Okay. I think it was like a mil. So my dad was in the military. I think it was like a party for like military people. My mom was just there. So that's how they met. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Damn. Okay. And then when did you make the trip back? Um, how old were you? You were five? I was five, yeah. My mom was still there. And then they came when I was. Seven. Okay. They came back Did, to Porterville when I was. Was it seven. different? How different is it? Did you? I mean, it was. It was. You know, it was hella different. So when I was when I was in Virginia, I had a Southern accent. As like, a kid, yeah, like I remember having a Southern accent. Like I remember, there's one thing I specifically remember when I came back to Porterville. Uh, I still had a Southern accent for a little bit, and you know, like when you get in trouble, like all the little kids say, "Ah." Oh, or that's what they said in Porterville. But I would be like, ooh, like that was like my Virginia accent coming out. And then I remember, I remember this is like the only thing I remember about my accent changing because when I started saying, um, um, that's how you know you, you, you finally, you're, you're, you're in Porterville yeah, now. Yeah, that I'm in California. But okay. Is yeah. there an accent in Porterville? Apparently, I don't know if you've seen that quiz on the New York Times about like it tries to like decipher where you're from according to how you say things or it tries to decipher your accent according to how you say things so it asks you like so are you reading it or are you yeah you're reading it okay so it's like a multiple choice question it's like do you uh, say y'all use or you and it's how do you say mary is mary or mary like stuff like that uh, uh, and so when i took the quiz it like s- deciphered that i was from southern or uh, central california and i was like i don't know how it did that but really i feel yeah. like my accent's really i don't know if i have a southern california accent i feel like my my stuff's all cuz i'll use y'all and use i use y'all a lot too and i put that in there and that uh, but it still came out southern no central california which i thought was interesting but so porterville after that all, porterville all. like all my life until i went to college okay yeah cool did you like it no, not no. at all. Like, <laughs> no. just his family's there. I like don't even remember when I was growing up. I can't remember a time where I didn't where I didn't want to leave Porterville. So like all like all throughout my childhood, I was like, I'm gonna go to college. Can't so wait I to can leave. leave Porterville. <laughs> but Do, no, I like it now. Like, tiene su encanto. Like, it has its charm. Okay. Um, and I like to go back and visit my family. But growing up, I did not like it at all. So you left. Why'd you leave school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I came to SC, USC, fight on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I remember, like, <clears throat> like I got invited to like this like summer program before starting cl- class. And I remember when I got the letter, I was like, oh, this is hella cool. Like, I could start, or I can move out of Porterville early. And, and then I'm like, I don't know how much this costs, though. And then I called the dude, and he was like, oh, do you have financial aid? And I said, yeah. He's like, oh, if you have financial aid, it's zero dollars and zero cents. Oh, what? That's exactly what he said, zero dollars and zero cents. And I was like, hell yes. And I told my mom, and at first she was all mad because she didn't want me to leave. Because you know how, like, I feel like this happens a lot with, like, mother and daughter. Maybe mother and kid in general, but mother and daughter, like, right before you're about to leave somewhere, you fight a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess there's just like that. No, it's true. Like, that's, I mean, mm-hmm. that's how it is. Before I moved out, it was the same way. Yeah, right? It's just like, I don't know. But then. I think the relationship just has to get so bad. <laughs> 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 to the point where you just want to get not see each other anymore. <laughs> Something like that. I mean, we, I left fine. And she was like, okay. with. It. She like called the dude too. And she like felt better about it. So it was fine. But. Yeah, so they didn't remember. want you to leave. They didn't, no. they didn't want you to go to college, or they just didn't uh, want you to leave. But then you, they, they wanted me to go to college. Definitely, yeah. They didn't want me to stay. So they want. What's, wait, what's close to where would you have gone nearby? Near Porterville, there's Cal State Bakersfield, Cal State Fresno, uh, yeah, UC Merced. It's not UC Merced. It's not even that close, actually. Damn. <laughs> Still like two or two hours away, I think. But LA is only three hours away, so. That's not that far. Not but that it's bad. like a world of difference. I'm sure. Remember when I got to LA, when I was in Southern Was that your first time? 
No, I, w- I had visited. I had visited SC before. Uh, right, but I'm saying before that, did you ever spend time in LA? When I visited SC, like for a that, day. That was it. Mm-hmm. And my, I have like relatives who live in Rancho Cucamonga. Mm. That's technically not LA though. Mm. I remember when I was growing up, I always was like, "Oh, I'm going to LA. I'm gonna go see my aunt in LA." And then once I moved to LA, I'm like, "No, you don't live in that's, LA. No, that's not LA." <laughs> <laughs> that's Damn. Okay, cool. So this was like 2010. Okay, 2009. 2009. Yeah. And I remember like I got there and there was like a oh, was it Pinkberry? And what else was there? Like in the village? Oh, the was there a Cold Stone? At the, the, at the one, old village. The, no, there's there's one at Tuscany. Oh, there's at a cold Tuscany. stone at Tuscany. At the village, there was, there was, no, there wasn't a, a pink berry at the village. There was a red mango. That's right. There was, there was all this stuff that I was like, we don't have any of this in Porterville. I was so enamored by the village. And it's just like, it's just like. <laughs> have you seen it now? Street. No, I haven't seen it yet. I saw, I saw it when they were like building it and like it was almost done but i haven't seen it since yeah it's i can open. just imagine how you'd be how like 2009 ebony would be if she saw the village now i know it's crazy i wouldn't have left it's like hogwarts man that's what it looks like wow i mean there's a lot to dissect there there's definitely a lot mm-hmm. to discuss you know what the village really means it's definitely not the same village as, as before but no. but not uh, the same businesses as no, before. no. The business owners all they did they all, all left. left i don't think yeah i think they all had to kind of figure out what they were going to do because uh, the rent's way too expensive yeah like, the leasing space is ridiculous yeah no. But i guess now there's a trader joe's which is all everybody wanted oh yeah and i remember when i read that oh trader joe's is coming to south la i was like um i mean it's coming to usc <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> exactly uh, but anyway you loved it yeah i loved it oh i love this see so much <laughs> good, good four years yeah it was Wait, a you major four in? years journalism mm-hmm. oh annenberg mm-hmm. that's sick that's awesome mm-hmm. i took some classes in annenberg so what, yeah. what, what, and then, so what led you to this point now? So I did my four years at SC. <clears throat> uh, I was always, I was print journalism and I was always like trying to figure out what part of journalism all throughout college, like I wanted to be in for a while. I thought it, like, oh, digital, like I want to do social media and all that stuff. Did an internship, got bored. <laughs> I was like, uh, um, at the LA Times. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Only? Uh, So I did an internship. The first internship I did was at the LA Times. And then I went back to LA Times and did another one. And then uh, my third year, I did an internship at NPR in their, like, multimedia department. That's awesome. Yeah. So with, like, the photo department. And that summer is actually what changed me, which when when I I finally figured out, like, I want to do, like, photo and video. That's what I want to do in journalism. So I had, like, a year left in college to, like, try to focus more on just, like, photo and video. Uh, and I think I, like, developed, like, a decent uh, portfolio in that year, at least. And after graduating, I went to Peru to work for, like, a nonprofit for a year to shoot photos and video for them. That's uh, sick. Yeah. For NPR? No, oh. for, uh, for, like, an NGO, like a nonprofit. Okay. No, the NPR internship was just for the summer. Got it. Okay. But that was, like, the summer that, like, changed changed my life uh, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> cool. <me> yes. <laughs> so, so now now you're studying film now i'm studying documentary film. how'd you end up on unam like what, what, what did that yeah what did that decision how, <laughs> how did that decision come about and why 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 did you want to study so when i was in peru i actually like thought about wanting to go back to grad school but you knew you wanted to go to grad school i knew sure. i wanted to go to grad school for a while and I was looking up, in Peru, I was looking up, do I want to go back to the U.S. to go to grad school or do I want to go somewhere else? And I had, like, been eyeing Mexico for a while. Um, do you ever, did you visit often? No. You had never visited? No. I went to Ensenada once for, for like, a band trip <laughs> in high school. Really? But most of my family, if not all my family, now lives in the U.S. And, uh-huh. So there's really nothing, there's no... Mm-mm. Actually, okay. I do have, like, a story um, about, like, the earthquake that happened. The yeah. So there was a, earth, like a huge, there was just an earthquake in Mexico that was there. Two. There's also two. Two, two yeah. big ones. <laughs> two big ones. And then there was the earthquake in Ochenta y Cinco in 1985. 30 years ago, exactly. Mm-hmm. And my, gra- my aunt used to visit Me- Mexico City all the time because we have family there. And when the last time she came to Mexico City to visit my family, she was there during the earthquake. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so my she couldn't. She was my my grandpa and my mom were like calling her, 
And she wasn't answering the phone. Yeah, everything was down. Uh-huh. So my grandpa and my no mom Facebook. drove from Porterville to Mexico City to come pick her up. What? Yeah. And then my my mom, like, always remembers. She's like, oh, man, those aftershocks were terrible. Like, I remember those Were they on the road while, while they are I'm not sure. She, I just know that they, I think they came, like, maybe a day or two later. And there were still aftershocks. Holy shit. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah. So that was the last time and my And the city aunt, was just, like, destroyed. shut down, huh? Yeah. Yeah, like th- tens of thousands of, pe- of people. Yeah, died. like I saw a lot of so. all those buildings, like because it's all like old, um, it's all old, uh, you know, all brick buildings, all those, all those center block buildings, mm-hmm. you know, which kind of sucks. Yeah, they, they won't hold up in an earthquake. Exactly. No, and it's. I remember actually. Wait, so you had family there? Yeah, I had family there. What did, are they? Did, were they okay? Everybody. Good? Uh, I think my mom told me that. Like, on their street, I'm not exactly sure what part of the city they lived in, but, like, every house fell down except for their house. But that was the last time my aunt came back to Mexico City because she was scared. So, so we lost contact with the family. And now I'm, like, trying to find them again. Oh, now damn. that I'm in Mexico so now you're City. Out there, yeah, I'm like, trying to find them again. You Facebooking everybody? Yeah. I know. I'm trying to look them up because apparently they had, like, their dad was Chinese. So they have, like, a unique name. Wow. But I still can't find them. So I'll look. I'm gonna look for a phone book. I might, ha- I might, I might uh, find them in a phone book rather than on Facebook. That's cool. Mm-hmm. No, sorry, you you were gonna say something. Uh, I forgot. <laughs> oh yeah, but I got to uh, I got to Mexico because I've been like eyeing it for a while. Like after living in Peru, I was like, okay, I want to live. I still want to like live somewhere out of the U.S., but I wanna. I think I want to live in Mexico because I want to like get to know my roots and. Learn more about it. And Mexico City sounds really cool. Like, just like a cool city and blah, blah, blah. So I went back to... Well, first, I went back to L.A. for a couple of years. Worked at the L.A. Times. Also to, like, try to save up. <laughs> save up money. And I was, like, debating on whether I wanted to apply for grad school in the U.S. or in Mexico. What were the options? Uh, I was thinking about the U.S. And then I was looking at the prices. And I was like, oh, so do I want to take out more student loans? I don't think so. <laughs> but you knew you wanted to do documentary filmmaking? Yeah. You already knew uh-huh. that. Totally I already right. knew. Okay. Yeah, I knew since being in Peru that I wanted to do that. So it was actually like when I was at the LA Times for two years, I was doing more like web producing and stuff. Um, and I thought, oh, maybe I'll end up liking this too. And like, I'll just pursue this because like it's a paying job or whatever. But no, it kind of reaffirmed that I wanted to do documentary filmmaking. Um, so then I left. I got a remote job, also kind of doing so similar stuff to LA Times. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the remote job, I was able to just move to Mexico before like applying to school. And then I did a certificate. It's called a Diplomado, a certificate program in Mexico last year. And for the final project, I ha- we had to do like our own video or documentary or whatever we wanted to do, anything. And so for my final project, I did the documentary about the Haitian migrants in Tijuana. That's an interesting topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I, yeah. It was, it was really, it was, man, that documentary like, changed a lot of my life <laughs> but I've, I found out about it or like that that topic intrigued me because I was just reading the La Jornada it's like a newspaper in Mexico I was looking at pictures and like a lot of the pictures were like migrantes in la frontera migrants at the border and they were all like black <laughs> I was like why where are all these black people coming from? Why are there so many black people in Mexico? Yeah, I know. This is, I was like, more black people in Mexico. I need to figure out what this is. <laughs> They're on the front covers of the newspaper. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Okay, so, okay, let's, uh, let, before we get into that, though, like, let's talk a little bit more about that, that experience for mm-hmm. you. Because, I mean, obviously, this stood out to you because you, I mean, uh, we're audio, so no one can see you. But, like, no one would think that you're, you're, you're Mexican. I'm assuming if you, how much of that did you deal with, like, uh, you know, uh, growing up and even being in Mexico? Like, uh, are, are you dealing with a lot? Do you, is it how, I don't know, like, um, um, how's your search, you know, for, for, for identity and, and uh, you know, and connecting with your roots? How's, yeah. how's that going? Especially coming, being, being black, pretty much, you know, mm-hmm. being, being uh, I mean, mo- if people anybody sees you, they'll think you're black. No one's gonna assume that you're that you know fluent Spanish. Yeah, it's like nobody like I don't really look even growing like, up like, quote quote mixed or anything like that. So I th- I would say like I dealt with that more like the identity struggle more growing up than I do now. Like I remember I remember like just like always trying to like have to having to prove that I'm Mexican. 
Like, like people would like talk about me in Spanish, and I would be like, you know, I understand you. <laughs> like standing in line. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Somebody's telling me, but it's not talking shit behind you. Uh-huh. So stuff like that. Like, little kids are mean. I don't know. Like, I got picked on. Me and my brother got picked on a lot in elementary school for being black by a lot of other Mexican kids. So, um, But they knew that your mom was, like, they, they, they knew that you were Mexican, right? Or, yeah. Or, or, yeah, yeah. My mom was, like, involved. So she would always show, or my even when I was living with my grandparents, they were always there. Um, and... I remember I, I would say that, too. Like, every time someone picked on me, I would be like, I'm half Mexican, too. Like, try to, like, having to tr- try let to Let them know. That, uh-huh, yeah, let put them your know. foot down. But I just feel like, I don't know, kids are mean. <laughs> just, kids are fucked up, man. <laughs> I know. Everybody says kids don't see color, but I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but they speak their mind. Yeah, they do. <laughs> um... But I guess, like, as I got older, but also when I was growing up, I didn't really speak that much Spanish. Like, I could understand it, but I didn't speak that much. Uh, so I've always been trying to, like, learn more and more and more. And it I sounds, thinking, I mean, it sounds like you speak pretty fluent Spanish, man. Yeah, I would say now. Now, like, it's okay. I still make errors, but, like, it's, it's pretty good now. But um, that's, like, I think that's, like, a result of me trying to, like, prove my Mexicanness too. Is like, my process of learning Spanish. Like, for example, my brother doesn't really know much Spanish. He also understands, but he doesn't know that much. But if he tried, he he would have a good accent, too. Does your mom <laughs> speak uh, Spanish? or do, uh, She speaks uh, Spanish, sp- yeah. Spanish and English fluent? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think actually now I'm probably at the point where I speak more than her, just because more I've been in Mexico. More Spanish than, uh-huh. her, than your mom. Wow. Than my mom, okay. Yeah. So growing up, you the household was English. Mm-hmm. And your grandparents, they spoke. My to grandparents. You. That's the that's the funny part is that my grandpa didn't really speak that much English, uh, so they would speak to each other in Spanish, but they would speak to us in English and just like teach us Spanish mm. phrases. I guess because when we were living, we li- started living with them when I was like five. Five or six, and I was already talking. So right, they probably right. just thought like, "Oh, she's already talking in English. I'm just gonna, we're just gonna speak to her in English." But I mean, they did teach me like phrases and stuff, but they didn't talk to me all the time in Spanish. Neither did neither did they with my brother. So. Well, now you're now you're immersed in the language, mm-hmm. right? Or do you do you speak a lot of English in Mexico? Uh, I did. Are you put in those situations where you where you need to speak English, or where you have the option to speak uh-huh. English? Uh, now I don't really speak as much. Wow. Um, before I did speak a lot because I was with my boyfriend. <laughs> wow. But now I don't speak as much because um, everybody I talk to, like I, th- I only know like another one other American there. Uh, so with her I do, uh, and everybody else I know is Mexican or from Latin America. Oh, okay. So yeah, I speak a lot of Spanish now, hmm. and in my classes it's all Spanish. Damn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. So okay, so so you saw you see black people in the newspaper and you're like, what the hell is going on? I gotta figure this out, and what what happens next? What do you what do you do? Because <laughs> this is only like a three week program, right? How many weeks? How, how long was this program? Oh, uh, the program itself, uh, the diplomado was like four months, but the like the final pro we didn't start working on the final project until so it was from the diplomado was from August to December. We didn't start working on the final project till like mid November. Okay. Um, and then we had to. By then, you already in. knew. That you wanted to... Yeah, but then I think I had known for a while that I wanted to do that, okay. that project. Because, I, yeah, I had I think it was like September or October when I saw the black people in the newspaper. I was like, that's what I want to do. All right, let's figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then I think it was either end of October or beginning of November. I went to this like uh, Casa Africana in Mexico City, like a cultural Africa cultural house. And I talked to the lady there. Her name's Palmira. Shout out. <laughs> Shout out to Palmira. Yeah, we'll share the episode. Great. <laughs> she she like told me about what they do. She gave me context for people who uh, work with like black rights in Mexico, and then context for people who work with the migrants in Tijuana. And so that from there, I like contacted the people that she knew, and then from there, I contacted other people, and it was just it was a pretty. Straightforward process. Really? Yeah, because it, how is the community? Is it big? Is it, what's, the, what's the percentage of, of black people in Mexico? Small. I would say it's kind of hard to say now because they did just do a census like a couple of years ago. Uh, but it's just based off of like people who mark like, oh, I'm like African descent. But there's a lot of people who are obviously like, like physically right. of African descent, but they don't, they don't want to acknowledge that they're black. So they don't put it. Right. Uh huh. So there's like a lot of like erasure and invisibility and okay. of blackness in Mexico. But on paper, like, how do you know those numbers? I think there. I think it said that there's like two million Afro Mexicanos okay. in Mexico. Damn. 
and all over the all over the country. Okay. Uh-huh. Most of them live in La Costa Chica, which is like on the border of Guerrero, the states of Guerrero and Oaxaca. And then there's also a lot in Veracruz, which is like on the other side near the Gulf of Mexico. By Belize and stuff. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. makes sense. And then there's a community. A oh, yeah. There is. Uh-huh. And there's a community in Mexico City. And, and there's like some, like, oh, there's a community also in the north. They're called like the Mascogos. And they were, they're in uh, the state of Coahuila. <clears throat> and they're there because uh, a lot of the slaves from Texas, back when the U.S. had slaves and Mexico didn't, they, they would, went down. Uh-huh, they would escape the, to Mexico. They, 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 okay. Uh-huh. Damn. Mm-hmm. So there's pockets. Like, there's actually pockets in Mexico or, or mm-hmm. you know, communities that, are, that kind of built themselves. Yeah. Up. And they have, like, a, like a central, like, Afro identity. I would say most of, mostly in La Costa Chica in Guerrero and Oaxaca. Did you visit those places? Yeah, I did. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. I went to Costa Chica in May. It was amazing. It was great. It was so hot. <laughs> but, no, it was, it was cool because it, it, it felt like Mexico. Like, I still felt like I'm Mexico, but at the same time, I didn't feel like I was in Mexico. Um, Why? Because there's so many black people. (laughs) 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 No, because it's very tropical, like kind of Caribbean. A lot of the people, a lot of their accents were also sounded kind of Caribbean, like like someone you would hear from like Puerto Rico or something like that. I mean, not fully, but it kind of... They had that. They didn't have, yeah, they had like that twang, I guess. And, um, And like a lot of the foods were, not a lot, but like... Yeah, like the foods were like African inspired. They have like uh, a lot of herbs that are African inspired or from Africa. Like there's this there's this like plant called la moringa or the seed called la moringa, and if you eat it, it's supposed to like supposed to be like a natural vitamin or something like that. Okay. I tried it. It tastes really weird, but <laughs> it's supposed to be good for you. And then they they plant it into a tree, so then you can make a tea out of it. It's supposed mm. to be good for your stomach. Um, it's called moringa, and I think it's somewhere. It's from somewhere in Africa, but they just—it's just everywhere in La Cosa Chica. Wow! Uh-huh. So they just brought it. Somebody. Wow, that's mm-hmm. in, that's interesting. It'd be interesting to see how it how it got there. The yeah. history with that plant, right? Yeah, yeah. I would yeah. like to look in more into like the history of how things got to Mexico, uh, especially in those communities. But it was cool, and everybody was so hospitable. There were still tortillas everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of like, because um, especially in, I was in Oaxaca for the most part. And there's a lot of indigenous people in Oaxaca too, so there's a lot of like Afro indigenous mixture. Really? I would say, yeah. Uh huh. Or like <laughs> you can you you'll like meet black people speaking Zapotec. <laughs> and what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy, but it's cool. It's very rural. Very very rural. 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 Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that's interesting. So th- so so you went to this place. You went to this place, and you were just like, "Yo, I'm black. I want to figure this out." Or? Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> I went because I was like trying to see if I could figure out like ideas for like another documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just went to like make contacts and like make friends, and some of my friends in Mexico City who are part of like the Afro community in Mexico City like knew people in Costa Chica, so they connected me with them, and just to like know the area. So that's why I went. But yeah, it was cool. So <laughs> I feel like I could call people up and they will invite me to their weddings and stuff. Right, like because it's, it's that small, mm-hmm. small of a community. Mm-hmm. And in DFA, how is how is it out there? How's cool. the community there? Because you said there's there's a centralized there's a central. Uh, you said there's an area. Oh yeah, there's or like, like a, a or a museum. You said uh-huh. it's yeah. called the um, Casa Aguili Africa. So it's like a cultural house, like a and then like an event space and stuff like that. Um, and the girl who works there, like the main girl, is Palmira. But the dude who founded it, he's from Chad. He's African. He's from Chad. He actually he actually comes out in the documentary too, um, and he founded it because he was uh, exiled from Chad, and uh, oh yeah, oh, I'll say it. I'll say this, but um, so he like had to stay in like refugees ha- refugee houses like all over the world. He lived in France. He lived in Burkina Faso, Burkina Faso, and then he lived in Mexico. He lived in like a refugee house, like a, what is it? What would it be? It was like a, like a center for people who are exiled, politically exiled from their countries. Uh, I guess it would be called like a refugee house or something like that. So he wanted to make his own, um, but just for people from the African diaspora. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Okay. So the house is like an actual part of it is like a refugee house. And then part of it's like an African cultural center. Mm. There's a lot of history there. Yeah, there's a. I think uh, I'm not sure how long it's been open for. I would say at least five years. I think even ten years, but 
um yeah no it's a really cool place i really like it it's like i feel i always feel like home there when i'm there but um yeah so like below is like the cent- the cultural center and then above are the are the apartments for the the people who've been like exiled from their countries and and all over the diaspora like there's people from haiti so a woman i think there was a woman from brazil there's people from africa uh mm-hmm. and they're all artists too do you see a lot of black people in the FA besides besides the cultural center um i was <laughs> i would say i see like at least one black person a day and we always do the nod <laughs> you're like hey hey, yeah, hey, hey. <laughs> no words <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i mean like i mean it's more than i expected <laughs> okay, but it's cool. still not like a lot like it's not like like there's there's not like black neighborhoods like there are in la or anything right. like oh, that oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because like so i was uh, I was at a shelter after the earthquake filming, um, and there was this like little kid who like came up to me with like this other black woman. She was from Colombia, and the little and she told me, "Oh, it's because the, the this kid said that there was another he saw another girl from my country, so he took me to see you." <laughs> wow! Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. And then and then she asked me where I was from. I was like, "Oh, I'm from California." Or I said, "I think I said Cali." California, because Cali is also like a city in Colombia. Oh, okay. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, but he, they're like, oh, see, so we're not from the same country, but we still have the same. Uh, what did she say? The same homeland. But it made it made for a conversation. Uh huh. Yeah, it did. Yeah. So that's she was cool. really nice. Yeah. So you always see that. That happens a mm-hmm. lot, huh? Did you uh, you you dealing with any bullshit out there? Is there how's the racism out there? How's the racism? Because we know because we, we know U.S. is racist. Yeah. <laughs> We know U.S. is racist, and we know Mexico's racist, too. <laughs> Mexico's pretty racist? Uh, I would say, um, I would say, like, casual bullshit is, like, also mixed with machismo of, like, men yelling at the street saying, like, morena. Uh, and I don't even get that as much as I thought I would. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then also, like, people trying to touch my hair. So many people are trying what? to touch my hair. What? Out there? I feel, yeah. well, I guess there's less of a consciousness out there, right? Yeah, there, there really is. And it's it's really interesting because, like, there's a lot of, um, I would say there's, like a, like, a decent amount of, like, indigenous consciousness. Like, I went to, I was in El Centro, like, the downtown area, and there's always these, like, they're called the concheros. And they're, like, the people who, they're, like, the people who, um, do Aztec dances like in the street? What are they called? Concheros. Concheros. Oh, uh huh. Because they were I like they sold conchas. Uh, no, so they wear conchas <laughs> on their. Oh, they wear like concha bracelets. Oh, and, like, real conchas. Uh-huh. Okay, 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 got it. Got it. <laughs> not the bread. No, no, not the bread. <laughs> no, no, actual shells. <laughs> actual shells. <laughs> but um, like he was telling me about like all this like indigenous pride and. How we need to like look at our ancestors differently, and they didn't worship gods. They didn't see them as gods. They saw them as representations of nature. And I was like, oh damn, I get that. I get that. That's so cool. That's real as fuck. Yeah, that's so real. That's woke. Yeah, exactly. That is woke. And then right after he like touches my hair, I was like, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Damn, that's rude. I know. (laughs) So, do you feel like do you? Do you feel feel like you have that responsibility, or are you just not fucking with that at all? Like, do you feel like you have a responsibility to try to educate at least your peers, or? Oh uh, yeah, definitely. I you think do. So, I remember so, like because I I don't know. I feel like I don't know. I feel like maybe I if I'm if I'm like one in if I'm the only black person in my group, I might feel like maybe I shouldn't say anything. What's the point? Or I don't know. I don't know. I'm curious to know how you feel about that. I don't know. I feel like a lot of the friends that I've made in Mexico, I've made like doing the documentary. So a lot of them are like either black or like they know a lot about, or they're really into like, um, like black power, Mm. uh, African Mm. influence and all that stuff. But so I guess I end up talking about like black stuff a lot with them, but so I don't have to educate them, but like with like other friends, like, I remember one one friend told me like, "Oh, I haven't talked about. I've never like talked about race this much, but it makes so much sense." <laughs> <laughs> opening opening minds, yeah. man. Yeah, in Mexico, this, and these conversations are all in Spanish. Uh huh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you talking racism in Spanish? I, I don't know. think I've ever done that, <laughs> except hard. to like my parents. <laughs> it's so hard. Spanish words. <laughs> Because wow. then I'll say things and I'm like, I don't know if this is the right word. Or like, do I say supremacia blanca? Or I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so wait, so let's go. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, the process of your, you know, making your documentary. Mm-hmm. The, the inspiration and what, you know, those steps that you took. 
So I read, I saw the photos of the black people. <laughs> then I, <laughs> I met up with Palmira, and she was the one who gave me the context for some people. Uh, and and I like at the time when I met up with Palmira, I had an idea of doing more like a like a feature of like three central personajes, uh, three central characters, uh, like one from Haiti, one from uh, South America, and then one from Africa. And hmm. yeah, that changed. <laughs> was I, it limited? You didn't have enough. You didn't confine the people. Uh, no, I think it more so changed just because of like the people I started meeting, and then it kind of like shifted the story. Uh huh. Shifted the story. Yeah, exactly. That's how that's how documentaries tend to be. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So, um, so then she connected me to this guy named Wil- Wilner Meteluz. And he's Haitian, but he's lived in Mexico forever. He has Mexican citizenship now. Mm. And he go, he lives in Defe, but he goes to Tijuana a lot to help the migrants in Tijuana. Mm-hmm. So then I, I interviewed him. He told me like a lot about what was going on there. And he connected me with this woman named Paulina, who's just, I think she's from Intanada. Actually, she has an interesting story because her, uh, her, par- her parents were from the U.S., her dad, and they migrated to Mexico. So she's like, I'm the only one of my cousins who's Mexican, like real Mexican. You know, all my other cousins are pochos. No, I don't know if she says pochos, but she's just like joking around that right. she's the only one who was born in Mexico. <laughs> but um, she was really cool. She helped me a lot. I was only in, I just I had just met her like when I went to Tijuana to film. Um, and she showed me around like all the migrant houses the first day. Uh, <clears throat> she told me everything about like the cifra, the... What's it called in English? The statistics of like how many, <laughs> how many of uh, the cifras? Is yeah. that okay? <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, what is that called in English? <laughs> I can't think. Um, <laughs> the like statistics of like how many Haitians are there, the statistics of how many families are there, and all that stuff. Um, what are those numbers? Do you, do you have those numbers? I think it's like cinco mil, like five thousand Haitians are like. Mm, yeah, I think it's like 5,000 Haitians. I can't remember if it's... Ooh, I can't... Oh, man, I don't want to get the numbers wrong. I know at least like 5,000 passed through. I can't remember if 5,000 stayed. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And this is recent, right? Yeah, this is recent. This happened. I went to Tijuana in December of last year to film, and that's when they were still like arriving in the migrant houses and stuff. So it's like this wave is still coming in. Like uh, there's, there's a- I would say not anymore because... So the whole, the whole reason why they started coming was... Because they all lived in Brazil. So after the Haitian earthquake in 2010, they all um, Brazil was handing out like a bunch of humanitarian visas. So they all moved to Brazil and they worked there for a while. And then after the World Cup and the Olympics ended, there weren't really like a lot of jobs for them. So uh, then there, aren't e- there isn't even jobs for yeah. people in Brazil. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so a lot of them started like moving up north, tried to, trying to get up north um, to go to the U.S. because... The US but the ultimate had, goal is US, right? The ultimate goal was US. Was US. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Okay. So, because uh, the US had a humanitarian uh, visa program too for Haitians after the earthquake. So a lot of them were trying to get to the US. Um, but then Obama, I think sometime, I, I don't know if it was September, sometime last year in 2016, 2016 mm-hmm. Obama suspended the humanitarian visa for Haitians and even started deporting Haitians back to haiti um so when that happened i think that was like i can't remember when exactly last year but it was last year um it was harder for haitians who were like coming from tijuana to get into the u.s and so a lot of them just ended up getting stuck in mexico um because chances are if you end up crossing to the u.s you're gonna get deported oh really Uh uh-huh i actually know a woman who she had an interview with the U.S. official. They let her through, and then they immediately put her in a detention center uh, in Washington. She well, was she there got, for... But she got, she got caught. No, she didn't get caught. She had it. So a lot of them had interviews. This is, a, this is like the messed up part, because from my understanding, all, all the Haitians I, I met in Tijuana, they all had interviews to meet with like a U.S. immigration person, uh, and they had like certain dates. So like if you had just arrived when I was in... When I was there in December, if you had just, just, just got to Tijuana, your interview was probably not until, like, April or something. Okay. Um, Months. Uh-huh. And Months. then that woman that I met, she, like, her interview was only, like, a couple weeks from when I met her. So, like, end of January uh, or mid-January. I can't remember exactly. 
and she was telling me like and i was asking her like so if once you do the interview like is that do they let you go through like do you have to bring all your stuff to the interview so you can just pass through and she's like yeah we have to bring everything because if they let us go through then we're, we're that's it like we have to go through that same mo- moment you know and i was like oh that's really interesting and so then like a couple months later she she calls me from a detention center in washington Damn. so my assumption is that once they let them go through they like immediately put them in a detention center why um so that they can have i guess i I don't know why they would even let them through in the first place honestly but i i know that like she had to like go to court and like try to apply for asylum but i guess the immigration didn't see like a case for it or a case for her asylum so they just deported her so they so so they pay for her flight back or Mm -hmm. wow shit okay Mm -hmm. I'm assuming, yeah, because she's in a detention center. She can't go back herself. She doesn't have any money in the U.S. And she can't stay. She, they can't stay in T- TJ? Uh, at that point, she was already, like, she was already crossed. She had already crossed to the U.S. And so, like, in the U.S.'s eyes, she didn't cross with any papers, even though... I mean, I guess it's just, like, any anybody who arrives at the border and just, like, applies for asylum right there. Um, but since a lot of the Haitians don't in the u.s's eyes don't have a case for asylum because they're just going for economic reasons and not necessarily political or like natural disaster because they had just suspended the humanitarian right, it was over. Yeah. that wasn't an, that wasn't an excuse uh-huh. anymore a reason yeah exactly so they just deported a lot of them okay mm-hmm. so you said there's ha- there's haitians there's brazil and what was the other one that you wanted to do an african yeah, I wanted to do a Haitian, uh, South American. It didn't so, matter, okay, a South American and an African. I met this woman who was, who was half. Uh, she's from Mexico, but her dad's from Senegal, Senegal. So and her mom's from Puebla, Mexico. And I just thought she was super cool and interesting. She had a lot of stuff to say. She had a lot of shit to say about white supremacy. So really? <laughs> I was like, I want to interview her. She's woke. <laughs> yeah, she's woke. <laughs> she's Mexico really woke. woke. Yeah. That's <laughs> what's up. So, so I she's, interviewed. She's, she's in the film, She's right? in the film, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. Her story similar to yours. Is she a little bit, yeah. Actually, something I noticed that she didn't even have to tell me is that when I was filming with her, she, she does like her own puesto, like her own food stand. And I was filming with her, and whenever she was, like, explaining to people, um, like, what the dishes were, because her food stand is is a comida de la diaspora africana, so, like, African diaspora food. She cooks food from Jamaica, Damn. Senegal, like, it was so good. Wow. <laughs> and um, so she was, like, explaining what the dishes were, and then, like, sometimes people would just, like, not say anything and be like, oh, but you speak in English? Like, where are you from? And I'm like... She was just speaking to you in like perfect Chilanga Spanish. Why? What makes you think that like she's not from Mexico? I don't. I mean, yeah, she's black, but like <laughs> that's why. <laughs> yeah, that's why it was just like oh annoying because yeah. I get that. I still get that sometimes too. But my Spanish isn't perfect, and hers is. Like she's born and raised in Mexico. Does she City. speak English? No, she actually no, doesn't speak English. Spanish. No, just, she just speaks Spanish, French, and Portuguese. Bomb. Uh-huh, yeah. That's what's up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But Damn. no English yet. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. Okay. But yeah. No, and then she was telling me um, about, like, a lot of times, like, if, oh, she said, like, she tried to renew her passport once, and they didn't believe that um, she was Mexican. They thought she was, like, Nigerians, because apparently Nigerians are known for their fraud. <laughs> 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 and so they would not believe that, like, she was, like, the actual person, like, in her Mexican passport. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, she told me a lot of stuff. And, um... Yeah, it's interesting. But, like, so her dad came, and her uncle, too. They came as part of, like, a scholarship program that Mexico had with, I think, West Africa. I know for sure Senegal, but maybe all of West Africa, or, like, different countries in West Africa. Um, in the 70s, where they would invite students from Africa to come and do, like, a, a bachelor's uh, or a master's. And that was the first time in Mexico's history, this is what she told me, that uh, Mexico let like, invited, like, African, or anybody, uh, well, no, people from, like, black, a black country to Mexico, uh-huh, so an African country, or either, or even, like, a Caribbean country, or anything like that, like, are, openly invited them, mm-hmm. Are they still doing this? This is, this is early. That was 70s. I don't think 70s. they're doing that specific program anymore, but, but now. But I'm thinking, are they doing, do you, they still, like, the, exchanges yeah, and stuff okay. like that, yeah. Is there, is there, like, a trend now? Is, are there a lot of black people coming over to Mexico, to establishing their lives, besides, uh, the Haiti, uh, immigrants? Um, in other places 
I think right now the focus is a lot on the Haitians. I, there's actually, like, with the Haitians, there was actually, like, a a decent amount of Africans, too, like, also crossing with them. Um, but a lot of the Africans were able to actually cross successfully to the U.S. because they have cases for asylum because they're, like, escaping war and stuff like that. Um, but outside of them, like, in droves, I would say not really. Like, there's, just, like, people who come to study. There's, like, a decent amount of African professors. And I know there's, like like uh african dance classes like that anybody can take and you just have to, it's like a like a class that you pay for or whatever and, and i'm like oh those those professors are black so <laughs> possible uh-huh possible yeah it seems like like i mean in your film it looked like there's a possibility that they might be there longer than expected you know not gonna expect it might do you think that it's gonna that might become their home like mm-hmm. or do you is that like is that the sense that you got or is it does it seem like they want to go back yeah. or is the goal still U.S. Um, and, and and in addition to that, is the Mexican government doing anything to to offer that you know offer them a space or anywhere where they can start establishing their roots and building something new you know something a community within the, in mm-hmm. Mexico. Um. I would say when I was there, I was there in December and like the hope for most of them was still to go back to the U.S. But they were also had like a reality check to go to the U.S. But they also had they were starting to have like a reality check. Like one dude told me like, oh, I'm like 60 um, percent U.S. but 40 percent staying in Tijuana because now he knew it was like less of a possibility. But also when I was there, I was still there before Trump was inaugurated. So I remember when Trump got inaugurated, like people in Tijuana telling me like, uh, yeah, they're not gonna, <laughs> they're not even trying to cross to the U.S. anymore because they know once they cross, they're going to get deported. And the last thing they want is to go back to Haiti because they haven't even lived in Haiti for a really long time. They were in Brazil before that. There's nothing there. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's nothing there. A lot of people don't have anything there. Like their families are with them. They don't have houses in Haiti or anything and like that. And people moved in, in, fa- in packs. Like people moved, mm-hmm. like it's not like, it's not like like single fathers i mean or just it's not just like the dad that came it's like their whole families right yeah there, right? yeah exactly like there was a lot of single men but i noticed that a lot of single men were young like like my age or even younger okay. and they didn't have they didn't have like families or anything like that um and there was a lot of families i don't know just from like like a eyes what's it called <laughs> like from my personal uh, observational point of view mm-hmm. it looked like at least half of the people there were like in families uh-huh there was a lot of kids. There's a lot of women. Uh, and, and Paulina actually told me that, that. I can't remember the exact percentage, but, like, there was a lot of, lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of, I think even more families than, like, single men. Really? Mm-hmm. And a lot of families, like, their kids were born, like, in El Camino, like, on the way. So sometimes they have, like, a Guatemalan kid who was with them. So even if they were to get deported, their kid wouldn't be able to get deported with them because their kid was born in Guatemala, and Haiti doesn't have dual citizenship. So oh, shit. yeah, so their kid wouldn't even be considered Haitian. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't, does that mean they'd be separated? Yeah, that means they would probably be separated if they were if like a the parents were to be deported to Haiti. Um, yeah, and I think like since I've been there, uh, which has still been a while now, I think like most of the Haitians that are in Tijuana are probably gonna stay in Tijuana. Like I know that they were trying to build like a little Haiti. I've heard of people like trying to build restaurants and restaurants and stuff like that. Is, is it is it easy to get started? Like, is it, like if you come to the U.S., you're probably not going to start. You know, you can't open a, a restaurant and say you're going to start a new life here. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I don't. I mean, I guess like I wouldn't say because Mexico is hard. There, there's already like the economy in Mexico is like not the greatest right now. And um, I wouldn't say easy. I would say maybe easy in the sense of, like, there's more uh, opportunity for, like, under-the-table work <laughs> Got it. in Mexico. Because like, that's an economy in itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I would uh, I, I think it would, yeah, it'd be hard to, like, establish, like, a real living where you could, like, save and... Uh, you probably can't get it. Can you get a bank account out there if, if they're, uh, in their cases, like, can they get IDs? Can they get... They can. So, um, I think it's actually, so the, so Mexico has been giving humanitarian visas to some of the Haitians not all of them but I don't know how what's the percentage is but I know that like a lot of Haitians now do have humanitarian visas so they've been trying to like start to work and I read this story about one one student who actually like enrolled in university he's like the first Haitian to enroll in university in, in Tijuana and there's kids he's a refu- he's a- yeah he's a he's a refugee and there's kids who started going to school in Tijuana now with like the Mexican kids and 
So in that sense, they're like integrating. Uh, <clears throat> but also, I also read the story about uh, like well, the Mexi- the Haitians trying to build like a little Haiti. And like in this like neighborhood that's like super far away from everything in Tijuana, but there's like a church there, and a lot of the Haitians are staying in that shelter in the church. So they were trying to build like a little Haiti there because it's like kind of looks slummy actually. Because I went I went to that that area and it looks like a slum, <laughs> and um, and apparently the government like stopped them because they said it was too dangerous and they didn't have the right permits or something like that. And I'm like, there's a lot of I'm pretty sure there's a lot of like unpermitted permit. Like, Permits? <laughs> I, don't know to, I don't know what that word Not is. All the making shit. up a word. Yeah, yeah but all those houses there, I'm pretty sure, don't have permits. And um, you're just like trying to prevent them from like start, like have their own space and like just trying to make it harder for them. And are they integrating within the community? Well, on a, on a more local level, like within the actual community with the people there. With the people yeah. in Mexico? Or, yeah, or in TJ. In Tijuana? Yeah. Um, this is actually something that I want to, since I was there when they were still arriving and people were still coming, I don't think people are like arriving anymore, um, to Tijuana like they were when I was there. So this is something I really want to go back and like see like how much they've adapted and like how much they've integrated. When I was there, I remember like in El Centro de Tijuana, in downtown Tijuana, I would see like a lot of patients like walking around and like going to cafe. It's like a big, and, uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> walking around, yeah. buying tacos. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, at the bailes. Yeah, exactly. And there's this one restaurant in El Centro also that um, it used to be a, like a regular old like Mexican <coughs> loncheria, and now it's like a Haitian. Like the owners turned it into like a Haitian restaurant. What? Yeah, That's cool. and like all the Haitians go there. Oh, so I went there too. It was so good. <laughs> just hanging out. Yeah, just That's like cool. hanging out, like yelling, like where my food. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. So what's 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 next for you? Uh, so now you're in Unam. Mm-hmm. Now I'm at Unam. I'm doing. You're starting your first year. Yeah, so I just started my first year a master's program in documentary film at Unam, in the Quick. It's, the film school is called Quick. Mm-hmm. El Centro Universitario de Estudios Cinematográficos. Oh, I like <laughs> it. I like it. I get it. Quick. Quick. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so when we applied, we had to like have our own. Uh, we had to like uh, propose our own like thesis. Do- uh-huh, thesis project. So I want to like kind of expand on the theme of blackness in Mexico and kind of do like, it's kind of like an anthology film where it's going to be like separated into four parts. I'm still, since I'm in the very, very, very early planning stages, I don't, I'm not sure if it's just going to be four separate like shorts or if I'm going to do like an anthology and like uh, put them all together somehow. Uh, about like different aspects of like black culture in Mexico, so but one what, of those. What are, what are you gonna hit? Which ones are you thinking about hitting? I'm thinking about hitting food because I love food. Okay. I always have to involve food. You gotta. That's that's yeah. culture. <laughs> that's, that's life. That's us. I do. <laughs> it's true though. And then um and it like a lot of people don't know that like a lot of aspects of Mexican food are like influenced by Africa. Like Jamaica is like one of the most popular drinks in Mexico yeah. and the Jamaica flowers from Africa. That's what? Uh-huh. The, it's from like Senegal. it's not originally from Mexico? No, it's, it's not. not. What? Yeah, it's from Africa. That so, is news to me. Mm-hmm. Do people know this? Do, do, uh, most Mexicans do not know what this. The, what? That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> and then I was like so someone so since like doing this film I've met like a lot of people and like I've I've met this professor who's from Mexico but he teaches in North Carolina and his whole um like method of teaching is very afro this is like you know mainstream teaching is eurocentric so he's trying to be afrocentric and his whole method is like the african influence of mexico so he was the one uh, he told my friends about it and then later on i met him uh and then i was like i gotta look this up and it's true yeah (laughs) so okay yeah jamaica's from africa it's crazy and Hmm. it's so good and my friend who's the one whose dad's from senegal she does a lot of uh she has a lot of plates uh she she cooks a lot of plates with um Jamaica and or hibiscus, I guess you would say, um, because it's from Senegal. Uh-huh. So food, and food, then and then sorry, I just had to talk no, about food. no, 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 it's awesome. <laughs> food and then music, because um, there's like certain mainstream genres that are yeah, like uh huh. Go ahead, no, go ahead. Like son jarocho has like African influence. It's like a it's like a big genre. It's from Veracruz. But I feel like it's like very popular in like mainstream Mexican culture now. And then marimbas, the yep, that's a gu- that's Guatemalan. That's like, really Guatemalan yeah. too. Yeah, that's from Africa. The marimbas from Africa. Uh-huh, marimbas what? from Africa. Even the name. I remember when I was thinking about it. I was like, the name marimba kind of sounds African. <laughs> like, it sounds like a, like I feel like because when I, I went to Tanzania um, when I was working with that org in Peru, 
And like the sounds of like Swahili kind of sounds like marimba. Like I could hear the word marimba. Like in, in, in you know? Swahili, uh-huh. do they do they still do they play marimba in, in Africa? Mm-hmm. In, not in Tan- I didn't really see it in Tanzania, but I'm assuming if it's from anywhere, it's probably from West Africa, and okay. Tanzania is from in East Africa. So yeah, I have to look at more, and I have to look that up more. But um, this is all part of the research for my documentary. That's, awesome. That's fine. <laughs> and then I want to do family because um, <laughs> my friends have told me like, oh, in cada familia mexicano hay esa persona que le dice negro, el negro or la negra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, um, and it's kind of funny, like, it's kind of true. There's always like that, or not always, but like, I've, I've seen like people just walking around in Mexico city, Mexicans, but they have like a little like darker complexion. They have like Chino, like curly hair. Um, they call it like pelo chino. Right. Uh, and I'm like, they probably got some, like, at least like some African in them. So (laughs) yeah. Uh, could do that 20, 23 and me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Actually did. I did the ancestry one. Oh, you did? Yeah. What'd you find out? What'd you? I found out that I'm 51% Are you black? black? Yeah. I'm black. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm black. 51%. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then I was 23% indigenous. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, for indigenous from what? What does that mean? Mexico. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. And 23%? 23 or 24%. 23 or 24%. Mm-hmm. And then like 7% from Spain. I was like, yeah, I'm more indigenous than a colonizer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then I had like 12% from Argentina. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. From, Ital- from Italy. From Italy. And I was like, where is this from? But I remember my grandma used to say that her grandpa was from Argentina. So I guess uh, maybe so that's, there's something mm-hmm. in there. Yeah, some probably. European in there. There's some European in there. Hey, maybe your kids will be. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it depends on who their father. Right. <laughs> and so then the fourth the the fourth topic that I want to do is about the Haitians. So I, keep exploring I that. Call it, yeah, I want to call it mobility. But every time I say it in Spanish, because you know when you think of mobility in English or in the U.S., you think of like rising up. Yeah. Like coming up. Uh huh. Coming up. But whenever I say it in Spanish, they're like, oh, no, wouldn't you just, they just think of, like, movement, like, migration. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not the concept that I'm trying to hmm. display. Interesting. So uh-huh. you got to find a synonym for mo- mm-hmm. another word for mobility. Mm-hmm. Spanish, mm-hmm. yeah. I say you should just do it. Yeah. Fuck it. <laughs> you don't, like, you you don't get it. it. <laughs> yeah, you don't get it, watch it, and then you'll get it. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. But I definitely want it to be subtitled. Uh, yeah. And even if I, if I interview someone in English, then I would want to have like Spanish, Spanish subtitles. Uh-huh. I like that. I really mm-hmm. like that. I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they, if it's in Spanish, have the English subtitles. Mm-hmm. If the dialogue is in English, have the Spanish. Subtitles. Yeah. Oh, but doing subtitles is a bitch. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. I've done it before. Yeah. It sucks. Did you and you cut the 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 project yourself? You cut the 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 film. The film? Yeah, I did everything myself. Oh shit. Yeah. Okay. You shot it, cut it. I you did the interviews. We could have like worked with like a classmate or something. I was like, no, for my final project, like I want to, I want to have like something that's mine. <laughs> it's it. kind of selfish, but. Well, for your thesis, you gonna have a crew or what? How's how's that work? Yeah, I definitely want like a sound person, because that was really hard for me for this last one, um, and a producer, but I still haven't found people yet. So. I'm done to help you. I'm done yeah. to fly to Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, okay, definitely. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so down. Yeah, that's what I was asking about all this sound stuff. Oh, like, yeah. What do you no, know about oh, sound? Oh, hell yeah. We, we'll talk. <laughs> My roommate's an audio engineer, so if you need him, he, I'm sure he'd be down to it. No, I'm down. Definitely. I'm always down to collab. Cool, thanks. Uh, but, uh, I mean, it's been an hour, so. Ooh. Yeah. So, but, so, I mean, we like to end the show, uh, I mean, with any recommendations. So, anything from, any plugs, so any, anything you're watching, anything, any, any, um, uh, any texts that you want to recommend Ooh, or anything like that? Yeah, any or anything that you've been reading. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't have to be relevant to you know to what we're the discussion that we were having. Okay. It could be about anything pretty much. Um, let's see. I guess what I'm watching. I love Insecure. I like always talking about Insecure. <laughs> <laughs> Insecure's my shit too. I, I love Insecure. <laughs> That's like me, my life. It's true though. <laughs> She's a like, mess. Like. Everyone. I know she's such a mess, but it's so true. It's like, so <laughs> and then just like the, it's like, I love it because it's like about 
the black people that you normally don't see on TV, you yep. know? Or and it's like the realest people. Because, yeah. well, I don't know. For me, it feels like it's the realest people because the people that I can associate with, most of my friends are like, you know, they're still in the struggle, just like it's a race. Yeah, exactly. She's so, like working at a nonprofit <laughs> yeah. and living in South LA. Like, <laughs> she lives around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, literally, like I see the, the, the Mavericks, that, the, the, that place that, uh, no, the Maverick, the bar that she always goes to oh, the club. Yeah. It's like around the corner. Really? Yeah. <laughs> they that. shoot that shit around here all the time. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, oh. I, where was it that you know Bacaro and in, in, in? Oh, I but, remember Bacaro. Oh yeah, my God, but my they, shot, they shot, they uh, shot, they shot. Uh, it's insecure there. Oh, I did not yeah, know they that. They shot a scene at Bacaro. I'm gonna have to look. I'm gonna have to look now because I can binge that shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all so over bad. LA too. And yeah, it's like the actual. Yeah, LA. what LA means to me at least. Yeah, me too. Me too. Actually, I like to show friends from Mexico insecure if they're sub. Either English or Spanish subtitles, but because I want to show them like what real That's LA when looks like. That's my home. Yeah, this, exactly. This. Um, so there's that. I love Jane the Virgin. Oh, that's my shit. <laughs> it's no, Fridays, no, it's on Fridays though. now. It's on Fridays, yeah. That kind of sucks. I yeah, don't know. it's kind of like the death slot. Yep. I really hope they get at least one more season though after this. I really do. Yeah. I think I think we're good. I think it's just they got a little sloppy last, last towards the end mm-hmm. last time, but hopefully, hopefully, I like the kid. I like. The, I love uh, the kid. They're changing the kid. They are. Yeah. But I like this last kid, the the big one. He he was funny. He was cute. <laughs> <laughs> he was yeah. kind of annoying, but he was cute. He was cute. He was so cute, yeah. but. And I was actually just like talking about like what I'm like one of my favorite authors is G- Juno Diaz. And uh, I love his book, Oscar Wilde, The Brief and Wonders Life of Oscar Wilde. It's about like this Dominican kid who who's like who's trying to get laid pretty much. <laughs> but but it like goes into his family history in the Dominican Republic. It talks about Dominican Republic history in general. And I love that book because it's just such a simple story about like this nerdy kid trying to get laid but there's just so much in it and then some of his essays i like i just read one i was actually like uh um answering another interview about haiti so i was uh, he wrote a, a, an essay called apocalypse and it's about the haitian earthquake in hmm. in 2010 because he's from the dominican republic so he's like comparing or like uh, talking about like relations and then how the earthquake changed relations and stuff like that but he's a really good writer you would i think you would like him okay mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. all right well Thank you so much for being here. Thank Hope you. you fun. <laughs> I did. Thank you. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in and for being part of this hashtag support Brown podcast, hashtag support POC podcast movement. Really appreciate your support. You know, this is the most important part of the show. This is where I ask you for a huge favor. I ask you to share this episode and go on the Apple podcast app or the Google Play Music or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts and you rate us uh, five stars and you give us a review uh, and let us know because that's what keeps us coming back. And if you want to get in touch with us, feel free to write us at pocktalkpod at gmail.com. Our website is pocktalkpod.com. And you can find us on Facebook and on Instagram at pocktalk and on Twitter at pocktalk1. And we'll catch you next time on Pock Talk. Pock Talk.